Welcome in to the Autzen Audibles podcast. I'm Matt Prem, Eric Scopel, Jared Mack on today's show. It's Thursday, but it's mailbag day. Uh, baseball is at the forefront right now of the podcast. That's why we did it on Monday. That pushed the mailbag to today. And lo and behold, as it should be, really, uh, I think we're starting with baseball on the mailbag today, which is pretty cool. Yeah, I was going to say, I, uh, Jared is thrilled. I mean, you, you for a while, you never got to talk baseball on the podcast. And now all we're doing no, is, is, is talking baseball on this podcast. And uh, based upon comments on the YouTube, at least, there was a lot of positive feedback from last show. So I figured let's let's roll the dice and let's let's start here with a question from at Theo Winter. After an awesome regional performance, what's your prediction for the Super Regional against Oral Roberts? And what do you believe the ceiling is for the team at this point? Hashtag Otsnotables. Obviously, Jared will be out there this weekend. We'll have a couple of photographers. We'll have full coverage. You can follow along. Jared has, I think, pretty clearly been the alpha in this field in terms of covering Oregon baseball. So you're getting the, the best possible insight from him this weekend. Let's just start with a, a, a little bit of, I know, I know you've done some of this, but let's just start kind of with mm-hmm. where your, your head is right now. It's a couple of days removed from the last time you talked baseball. Anything changed? Kind of where's your head at? Uh, no, nothing's really changed. Um, I don't think I'll be making a prediction heading into this series uh, just because uh, I'm just there to enjoy the baseball. Um, I mean, it would be great to see Oregon win because then I would have a chance to go to the College World Series. Um, but again, Oral Roberts is one of the better teams in the country, and it's going to be a difficult matchup. I think my one prediction, which I uh, made yesterday on the Going Long podcast with Zach Neal, you'll go everybody give him a listen to. Um, I said that this series would go three games. I think it's going to go into Sunday. Um, I don't think that there's a clear favorite here. Um, I know that Oregon should is probably the betting favorite if you're a degenerative enough of a gambler to go bet on college baseball like this. Um, I would imagine Oregon is the favorite because they're playing at PK Park and because they had just won the Nashville Regional and blah, blah, blah. But um, I think these teams are both pretty evenly matched. Uh, if you were to ask me earlier in the season just to – go back to the question and kind of then answer the ceiling part of it. If you were to go to and back and ask me in like April or so what the ceiling of or ceiling was of this baseball team, I'd probably say the super regionals. Um, you know, there is a ceiling to every team and Oregon, you know, when you compare them to some of the national title favorites like Florida or like Wake Forest, um, there are some deficiencies that they, that they just don't have. You know, uh, Florida has like probably two or three first round picks in their starting rotation. Uh, Wake Forest for sure has a top 15 pick in their rotation. Um, that's something that Oregon just doesn't have, which is fine because it's still a growing program. Wake Forest, and Florida and, and, well, and Virginia and these other schools, Tennessee, you know, they've been college baseball programs uh, that have been really good for the last 10 to 15 years. So this is still a growing program. Eventually, I wouldn't be surprised if that happens to Oregon's rotation, but um, I would say that the Supers was like that kind of ceiling, and that's not a bad season at all. But here we are in the Super Regionals, and Oregon is only two wins away from making the College World Series. So um, I don't really know what the ceiling is just because there's only one more tournament to go to, and that's the College World Series. So that would probably be the, what the ceiling is because that's as high as they can go. Um, but they got a good chance. Uh, I've been thoroughly surprised with their performances the last two weeks in the Pac-12 tournament and in the uh, Nashville regional. Uh, and so if you're Oregon, if you're head coach Mark Wazikowski, who I'll talk to today, uh, you just want to keep the hot streak going and get that, ten, that win streak up to 10 games. 
I did a quick search um, for betting lines, and it's very, very quick. But I did find betting lines for to win the whole damn thing. Um, mm. Oregon has the 12th best out of 16 teams. That makes um, sense. To, to win the whole thing. Now, Oral Roberts is below that that number, um, and Oregon plays Oral Roberts, so they're kind of in a in a position where, like, it's two underdogs playing each other. One of them, and this is, I think, what makes this series so fascinating, at least from my standpoint, is like, it it's a good team, like Jared said, and Oral Roberts, but they probably should be the favored team to win and they're two wins away from the world series and and we get no matter what an underdog story in in omaha whether it's oregon or oral roberts in in omaha which is pretty cool jake and i i just want to ask a personal question for you covering this team and getting to know this team what, what's a because it, it's something i've been through personally and i know we've done a little bit of this when you're covering football but it's it's kind of different because football coverage not to put anyone on blast, but it's like it's different in terms of the kind of day to day and stuff, and how much interaction mm-hmm. you can have. What's it just like being and seeing these guys? All they they put in. I know you know Wazakowski and the staff really well. What's it just on a personal level like watching them succeed like this and and, and reach what you thought was the ceiling only a month ago and possibly surpass that? I mean, it's been nice. Uh, you know, I've been following this team pretty closely since September, October. Um, I was you know, ditching some of football requirements to go to baseball scrimmages that just didn't matter. And in in like the grand scheme of things in October, because um, that's just how much I like baseball and how much I enjoy covering the sport in general. Um, getting to know the staff, you know, basically talking to them on a day to day basis, uh, talking to players uh, basically on a day to day basis as well. You know, you really get, get just get to start to know them. Um, personally and their thoughts on the field and all that all that other mumbo jumbo um so it's been nice uh to say the least you know i'm happy for the team happy for their overall development as a program uh to get more on the national stage and get better attention to a to a a group that has honestly continued to grow in the last four years that nobody in eugene seems to really pay attention to and which is nice that people are paying attention to now but uh People should have been on the boat a long time ago because this is a this is a good program. Uh, I think they unfortunately get the the I guess like the butt of the joke because Oregon State is a superior program, which it is. But you know this is a top four team on the West Coast, like year after year after year after year. Um, so hopefully this run will march people into becoming more fans or cl- or following the team pretty close for next season. I was just gonna say I think I think it's, I think it's sold out, isn't it, Jared? I mean, I, I checked this morning. I, yeah. I checked this morning to buy tickets. Uh, my kid wants to go, and you can't find them. They're not online. Yeah. No, it, it should be. They were there yesterday. They're no longer being offered. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they're only GA yesterday. All I was going to say was to your point of fan interest, like that, all it takes is a run like this sometimes. You know, I think you saw it certainly in softball under Mike White for a really long time there. They were playing so far into June that fans were like, okay, this is pretty exciting. You saw it with women's basketball. Obviously, football is, is a completely different animal. It's always going to have built-in fan support. Baseball might be the next one where it's like, hey, they made it to – even if it's just the Super Regionals, that was really fun. I went out and watched a couple of games. They were fun games. Let's let's get season tickets. Or let's make sure we make an effort next year to go out. That, that I would imagine usually after a run like this, you see a little bit of a boost in fan support. So let's hope 
let's hope that's the case here. I know Jared, as he said earlier, this is this is your one of your favorite things about this job. And again, I think it's got to be really cool for you to and fulfilling to to see a team like this make some progress and and you can kind of see where this is headed, hopefully for the future. So, um, I, what's 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 the schedule for the weekend, by the way, Jared? Just now that that's oh. released. Yeah, uh, Friday, Saturday, potentially Sunday if necessary. Uh, Friday's game starts at 5 p.m. Pacific Standard Time at PK Park. I believe Saturday's, which is June 10th, begins at 6 p.m. Pacific Standard Time at PK Park. Um, you can watch all the games on ESPNU. Uh, you can go to all the games if you can get if you can get a ticket, um, or you can follow along with me via Twitter or on DuckTerritory.com for all the updates. Um, but yeah, first game is Friday at 5 p.m. Should be fun. I'm I'm excited personally that I'll be honest. Haven't watched a lot. Planning that having that change this weekend should be good. Uh, all right, we're moving on to the second question. Moving to a little football here. We're gonna. It's a pretty wide range of topics today, which I think will be fun. We'll get the second half of the show. We'll talk some football recruiting, a little men's basketball. Um, should note from a programming uh, perspective, we have a couple of guests coming on next week that I think people are gonna be really excited about. Um, so just a little tease there. But let's continue this show with a question from. I think a first-time question asker at Sean the Fox McGee, what percent run to pass do you see our offense being this year with Will Stein at the helm? If you could pick which one, <clears throat> sorry, this is now a second part of this question. If you could pick one, which would you want to see the defense improve the most this season? Third down conversion percentage, rushing yards per game, or passing yards per game? Hashtag odds and audibles. Um, to the first one, and I'll just kind of knock this one out and then I can open it up to you guys and we can go to the second part. Uh, just a baseline of what we know from the last, from 2022, I guess, from uh, an Oregon and a UTSA perspective. Oregon a year ago, by the way, 54-46% splits uh, run pass. So they ran it a little bit more, not a lot. Um, I also wrote down 57% of their yards came uh, via the pass, which again, that's not unusual. As you probably understand, you pass pies have a potential to gain a lot more yards than run plays often. Um, so that's the Oregon split, 54-46. UTSA was 52-48, so they threw a little bit more. But again, this, we're talking about 10, 15 plays, and a lot of that is game script. A lot of that is the way the, the game is kind of uh, progressing. So to me, it's not going to be much different. Um, you're going to be seeing, I would imagine, uh, again, probably close to 52 to 54 in that range based upon what we saw last year at Oregon, what we saw with Stein. At UTSA, you'll see something like that in terms of the run-pass split. And again, I I, I wouldn't get too. I, I brought up the yards part just because I think that's interesting. But what we're getting at here is what you're what they're trying to accomplish. And I, I think you're going to see a pretty even split. Will has said that himself. Um, and I think one thing we've already said a couple of times in the pod that's probably pretty obvious is is what Will has said, which is, hey, this this offense isn't going to look a ton different. And I kind of am I'm holding him to that point. And that's not to say we're not going to see things that are different this this season, but I think from a, just a overall perspective, it'll look pretty similar. And, and, and based upon what we've seen at his previous stop and what Oregon did last year, I think you'll see a, a pretty similar split, 52 to 48 for Stein last year, and, and Oregon was 54-46, so somewhere kind of in that range. Yeah, I don't, I don't have much else to add. I think it'll be pretty 50-50. Um, yeah, Oregon last year, like Eric said, it was was pretty darn close to being 50-50. Um, gain more yards to the pass, but again, that makes a lot of sense because you can get more yards to the pass than you usually can running. Um, and there's also no reason to go away from either the run or the pass. Um, sure. I know there's a new offensive line, but you know a lot of these guys, a lot of the new guys, quote unquote, 
um, are either transfer guys who were battle tested at their prior universities or were super subs last season, like Marcus Harper and Jackson Powers Johnson. I think those guys are super subs last year. They got a lot of playing time. Uh, I can't anticipate that they're going to be um, like kind of flustered by the situation of starting. I think it's going to be just fine for both of them as previous starters. Um, and then the running game, you have Bucky Irving, Noah Whittington, probably the two most talented running backs in the Pac-12. No reason not to use them. So, uh, And from what you saw in the spring game, I think that was more of a testament to the defense that actually played pretty well. Um, but the offense had some similar-looking play calls as it did last season with Kenny Dillingham in control. And like Eric said, I expect that to be kind of the same deal. Um, and that's fine by my measures. Like if there's, a, if it's, if you take last year's season on offense and just take all the stats, all the numbers, and throw it to this year's season, everybody's going to take that. So if it's 50-50 split, so be it. If it's 51-48 or 49, who cares? But um, I, th I don't think it'll be run heavy or pass heavy. I think it'll be a pretty good split. This is an interesting question, and the reason I say that is because uh, at the time of this recording, I recorded earlier today a podcast with Bud Elliott, the mm -hmm. Summer Series, and he asked the very same question. I think there's mm -hmm. a lot of intrigue um, externally of what this offense will look like because they were so good mm -hmm. last year. Um, and like, I don't need to go into too much detail because you guys covered it all, but... Um, Stein himself said he's not going to change much. Um, I, I think the only notable thing I, I I recall him saying about the offense that's really no, newsworthy, but I think Dillingham's offense kind of did the same thing, was he wants at least eight shots down the field. Mm -hmm. you know, so they're going to be aggressive throwing the ball. Um, but when you have Noah Whittington and Bucky Irving, there's – not really a reason for you to be slinging the rock 60 times a game, 50 times a game, 40 times a game. It's going to be pretty split. You know, there'll be matchups, I'm sure, where it's, you know, hey, we need to shade more towards throwing the football because this team can't stop the pass. Um, and that will be games where Knicks will, will sling it a lot. But there will also be games where it'll even it out where it's, hey, like they are atrocious against the run. It's the safe play to do, even though we can throw on them. Let's just run the football. So I, I expect it to be pretty, pretty even, probably a shade, just like 52 48 to throwing over rushing, probably. You know, and, and one thing I was going to note is that I guess Stein did throw the ball more, if you want to look at it from a split perspective at UTSA, and certainly had. Um, higher split as actually one of the things I was going to mention, I, I forgot to is that 63% of UTSA's yards last year were through the air as opposed to 37 rushing. Um, again, Oregon was 57, 43. So some success throwing the ball downfield. We know that we've been through all of this. I feel like we've, we've talked all those this through pretty well. And then to the second part, talking defense here, um, just to remind those listening, the question was uh, of these three, which would you pick for Oregon to improve the most? And it was third down conversion defense, rush yards, a game, pass yards, a game. Um, just like some baseline stuff again, kind of similar to what I did with the uh, breaking down the the pass rush splits. Um, Oregon last year was ninth in the Pac-12 in third down defense, and that number was very low on the national leaderboard as well. They gave up conversions on 47% of third down plays, which is a lot. Uh, rush defense was actually fourth in the conference at 124.8 uh, yards per game, and I wanted to acknowledge with that 
before the Oregon State game, I think they were first or second in the Pac-12, and things were looking very differently from a rush for defense perspective. So uh, that one probably I'm just going to eliminate off the top of my head because I think they were actually okay there a year ago. And then pass defense, probably surprised to learn this. They were actually sixth in the Pac-12, 256 yards per game. That figure is rather large, but not even close to what UCLA, Cal, Washington State allowed, which was closer to 280 yards per game. None of those are great numbers. Those aren't championship defense numbers. Um, but to me, third down defense, sack rate probably is about the, the one that would probably stand out most that we haven't acknowledged here. Um, but I think all those kind of go together, right? Like if you can get to the quarterback, they don't convert on third quite as often. And if you can cover the cover the receivers pretty well, they don't convert on third quite as often. They don't get as many yards. So um, all of this obviously works together. But I guess if I was to pick one, I'd pick, down, I'd pick third down conversion defense because I thought that was was probably the worst of the three last year, none of which were great. But again, rush defense was actually solid aside from one game where they got absolutely steamrolled that no one is going to forget anytime soon. It's uh, it's third down conversion defense. I don't, I don't think any of them else are really close of an answer. Um, this is how you keep people from scoring is you convert on third down as a defense. Um, and that falls in line, like Eric said, with their sack rate. Um, you know, this has been a couple of years now in a row that Oregon's third down defense has been pretty pretty putrid. Um, and that includes having zero pass rushers other than Kayvon Thibodeau in 2021, um, where he missed some time early due to injury and then had moments where he looked like he was fully healthy. But, you know, when you only have one pass rusher in two years, basically, who makes an impact off the edge and getting in on third down, um, you can game plan around that if you're the opposing offense. Uh, so Oregon obviously really improved their defensive line this offseason, bringing in Birch, bringing in a whole bunch of recruits, bringing back Dorless, Casey Rogers, Taki Taimani, the more, the more, the more, the more. Um, so you hope that third down conversion rate continues or at least shoots up by a good chunk this year, um, which you know leads to passing yards per game because there's just going to be fewer plays for the opposing offense if you stop them on third down. It's going to be better rush defense because, again, fewer plays to get more yards. Um, that's just how you keep games in check. You know, Oregon against Washington State last year, in the first half there was no – Washington State just ran through Oregon on third down opportunities, and that's how they got out to such a big lead. In the second half, they finally had to had to punt or were forced to go forward on fourth down, uh, and Oregon finally took the ball over and started to score because their offense was great. So I think that's the, the key to success for Oregon is bringing that third down uh, conversion rate back up – or excuse me, back down, sorry, other side of the field uh, to a normal rate because that third down conversion rate was – like Eric said, one of the worst in the Pac-12, which means it was one of the worst in the country. So that's got to get better. Um, keep it short. I'd do third down conversion rate because if you do third down conversion rate, probably your passing yards per game goes down. Uh, your rushing guards allowed go down. Um, that seems to be the the easy answer here. Um, to be honest, though, all three of them need to get better at it. Um, you know, they need to make marked jumps in improvement for all three areas. Third down conversion is the first one. That secondary, you need to see a marked improvement because last year they had like the ultimate kryptonite for a defense. Uh, no pass rush, and they had some talent in the secondary. They didn't have a lot of it. Christian Gonzalez was terrific, was unbelievable. First-round draft pick. 
Um, Bennett Williams was a, a good safety, but they didn't have a lot of depth. They didn't have a lot of guys that you were like, this is a lockdown dude. He's going to be an All-American. Um, he's going to be an all-conference caliber guy. I think a couple of them, Triclose Bridges most importantly, can get there. That's returning from last season. Um, but th they need to have a better pass rush, which will help the, the secondary. And the secondary being better will help the, the pass rush have more time to get there too. Clean sweep, third down conversion thing we need to they need to focus on. I just had one thing from a context perspective I wanted to provide just looking through uh, Oregon's defense through the years. This is the that was the uh, worst rate allowed amongst an Oregon defense on third down since 2016 when they allowed uh, basically 50%. And then I, I just wanted to point this out like so we saw a huge like you can you can make a huge improvement. So 2016 they were at 40 basically 49%. 2017 Jim Levitt comes on Obviously, a, a whole shit, you know coaching staff shakeup, but drops to thirty three point three percent. They hold that down to about thirty seven percent in eighteen, nineteen. Avalos thirty three percent again, and then it kind of started to balloon a little bit over forty percent in twenty 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 one was bad, twenty twenty two was bad. So you know you, it's probably not surprising because the best defense in recent memory was that nineteen defense. Not surprised that they allowed about you know only a third of conversions on third down. But that's kind of the barometer for me of like that's where you want to get to, is get to where it's like hey the defense or the offense is going to convert on offense you know on, on third down. That's just the way it goes. You know it, it, you're never going to have a defense completely shut out opposing offenses on those downs because the offense has a lot of just built in advantages. But if you can hold them to one third of the time converting, that's a that's how you win football games. And that, you know, you go back to that 29 defense. That was part of why they were so successful is because they got off the field. And that's what we didn't see from this last year's defense, especially in those big games um, that they dropped. Uh, <laughs> didn't really get a third down stop at all against Georgia. Uh, Jared already mentioned Washington. Oh, they won that game, but the third down defense was brutal there. Towards the end of the season, couldn't stop Washington. The Oregon State game, again, that one, it's hard to forget in general, but not a lot of stops uh, in that entire game. So, yeah, these are – I know this is probably pretty elementary stuff, but getting better on third down defense is a, is, is an important thing. And, and you see that over the course of, you know, history of looking at the best defenses pretty good on third down. All right, let's take a quick break. When we come back, we'll open up the second half of this mailbag. All right, welcome back to the Yachts and Audible's podcast. Uh, two questions in, two different sports covered. Uh, I have a feeling we're going to introduce another sport here on the podcast. We are going to, but first we're going to do football recruiting, which uh, this question is intended for it's Matt. It's kind of its own sport. It is kind of its own sport, to be honest, at this point. Um, from at Nash Duckanier, a, a frequent question asker on this program, Matt, who is the who from the 2025 recruiting class do Oregon fans need to know about right now? Hashtag odds and audibles. Uh, the 2024 class, a lot of success. They've had some success in 2025 in terms of landing commitments, but as we said, it's its own sport now. <laughs> where where are things at for Oregon recruiting in 25? I know you were out of camp last weekend. Maybe got to talk to some guys. I'll be at one this weekend. So recruiting certainly a focal point during the off season. But 2025, Matt, yeah. where, where are things? Well, I think you have to first look at the commit list because they have two guys. They have Dallas Wilson and a four-star receiver out of Tampa Bay and then a three-star interior offensive lineman also from Florida, Chavez Thompson. 
Um, he committed a couple of weeks ago. Both those commitments, um, you like the fact that they're committed. You still recruit them really hard. It's very early in the process, and they're a long ways away from home. Um, so I, I temper your expectations with both of these guys. It's nothing. I'm not hearing anything that's like they're going to decommit soon. It's just the reality. We'll see what happens with both those guys, but it's good. It's a good start in that 2025 recruiting class. Um, I think the name to know most importantly from this group, Eric is a guy you spoke with at the elite 11. That's Akili Smith jr. Four-star quarterback, son of Akili Smith. Um, Oregon has offered, uh, they're in the picture here. Obviously they want him. Uh, we'll see how much dad pushes for his alma mater to, to get the commitment, but I don't, get that sense that Achilles is going to, Hey, Oregon, he's, you got to go to Oregon. You got to go to Oregon. You know, he's going to let him go wherever he wants, but he's a pretty good quarterback. He's a tall quarterback. He can make a lot of the throws. Um, Jay Sean Lamar is a running back slash linebacker. He's the younger brother of Jaden Lamar, true freshman at Oregon. Um, a dude that's like already bigger, faster, stronger than Jaden. Um, he could be a top 100 caliber kid, you know, down the road, uh, receiver, Chris Lawson out of California. He was on campus, uh, last week for an unofficial visit. He was also at, um, the Northwest showcase, which I was at on Saturday, uh, got a lot of time with junior Adams, Dan Lanning and other coaches. Um, I was hoping to talk with him there, but he quickly skirted out with some conversations with Oregon coaches. And then uh, it was really hot. And by the time he was done with the Oregon coaches, he was gone into the shade, into the hotel. I'm supposed to be talking to him this week. Tiangelo Waverly and LaMason Waller are two athletes. They're tight end type prospects um, from the West coast. I would keep track of them as well. Um, the 2025 recruiting class in the, the state of Oregon isn't – it's not really this unbelievable class. It's too hard to really know yet if there's going to be any like dudes that Oregon just absolutely has to go out and offer and 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 get into this class because Stone's emerged yet. That could change um, in the next couple months, maybe in the – you know, through – September, October, November, maybe some guys emerge there. But right now, there hasn't been anybody that, that you go, wow, like this dude definitely needs an Oregon offer. Um, Mana Tuioti is Tatum Tuioti's younger brother, the son of Oregon offensive or defensive line coach. Um, he's someone to track. He plays at Sheldon, six foot linebacker. Um, Baron Known from West Lynn's, another tight end. We had Huffman on. Mm -hmm. um this is a tangent for a second so bear with me we had huffman on like three months ago and we were talking about like tight ends in the state of oregon and how there's just like all of these tight ends um lebanon has one that oregon coaches that's in the 2024 class that oregon washington state washington and oregon state were all just hovering over um at the northwest showcase to the point where like joe lorig and dan landing were watching the receiver drills and Lorig literally marched all the way down from the end zone to the midfield where the receivers were at. 
grabbed the kid and told him, get in the front of the line. We want to watch you against this receiver. And they did it like two or three times. Um, it was just like shocking to see that happen. I think Washington State's really close to offering a scholarship. We'll see what Oregon does. But Barry Known is another tight end in the 2025 class, like six foot five, 220 pounds. Like somehow the state of Oregon has turned into this, this like Mecca for, I wouldn't say Mecca, but yeah, careful. Uh, I mean, USC's got a commitment. Joey Olson, AJ Pugliano's committed to Oregon. Jaden Fortier is going to be a Pac 12 quarterback or Pac 12 tight end. Um, this is all 2024 recruiting. Um, and then there's Hayden George out of Lebanon. That's the guy. Like there probably could be like four or five Pac-12 caliber linebackers in the state of Oregon next season or this coming fall between 24 and 25 classes. That's just wild to me. Well, yeah. And then if you want to go back a couple of years, you can you can think about the players that the state has produced that are, you know, whether or not they're playing at a high level in college or Luke right. Grove at least, you know, got an opportunity in the NFL. Um it's funny you mentioned the two first names you mentioned at 25 to know are the only 25 recruits I've talked to. And I spoke to them both at, in Eugene at, the, uh, <laughs> at that Elite 11 camp. And uh, I guess with Akili Jr., like I, I think Oregon's like very involved. And I think the family's very interested in just talking to both of them for a little bit. Like I, Matt's right. I don't get the sense at all that Senior is pushing Junior one way or the other. I think obviously just because of his rooting interest – like it's naturally probably going to hear a little more Oregon than some of the other schools, but I didn't get a sense that there's anything going on there. I did get a sense that like they really like Oregon, you know? So like I, it was funny because I think on the message board last week, somebody was like, why isn't Oregon recruiting? And I think it was just somebody who hadn't really been following very closely, but the answer is, yeah, they're in on him. And like, I don't know if he's the number one guy on their board in 25, but if he was, it wouldn't be a huge miss because physically he has all the tools. Like, I, in no way am I comparing the talent to Justin Herbert, but physically when you walk up and see them, yes. these are long, angular, six six, six foot seven, possibly athletes with with pretty big arms. So again, I don't want to get, I don't want anyone to take that and be like, oh yeah, Eric thinks Justin Herbert and Akili Smith Jr. are, are comparable youth prospects. I'm not saying that at all. Although I guess Akili at this time is high, more highly rated than Justin was, but I'm just saying physically you look at them and they just the way they're built and composed, you're like. That's what a quarterback looks like. So we'll see what happens there. I think it's really interesting. And then, yeah, I did talk to Jay Sean and, and Matt kind of covered what I was going to say there, which which is just that it's interesting when a younger brother, and he was standing right next to Jaden at the time, so he's probably, you know, he's aware his brother's listening, comes out and says, like, I want to be better than my brother. I think I'm really close to being there, and I'm going to prove it this year. Like, it's kind of fun seeing that sibling rivalry, and it'll be curious to see down, down the line how involved Oregon is there, but I got a sense talking to him. He thinks he's going to be a linebacker, not a running back going forward, which which could be a good thing if you look at Oregon's depth chart in future classes. That's a position again. We're looking at twenty five, so a couple of years down the line. But I think Oregon might have a little bit greater need at linebacker long term than yeah. at running back. But again, it's hard to project those things a couple of cycles out. I, and I think if you like, this is like all encompassing right here. But Oregon's got to still be successful at Matter Day High School sure. in twenty twenty five. And that's in Southern California, if you're unfamiliar with that. They've got three five-star prospects. And they're all players that fit Oregon's needs. Edge, wide receiver, running back for that 2025 class. Because you're more than likely going to see some guys that are juniors or sophomores this season in 2023 off the roster by that point. They've, they've got just a ton of talent up and down the board. 
And that's, you know, Oregon's got to be successful there. They've got to go in and they've got to find um, a couple guys from that school and get them in, get them into school, get them into Oregon and, and continue the, the pipeline there. Um, you know, you got to recruit well in the state of California, no matter what, that's going to be your, your bread and butter. So I would look at the top prospects in the state of California and then look at the top school in California matter day or St. John Bosco and say, just, you, you need to focus on the, those better players in that area. It's a tried and true strategy. Just to ask USC. That's essentially what they did for 35 yeah. years. And uh, it's it what Oregon's done too. The last well. couple of years. I mean, not to the extent that USC did, but you know, for a while under Mario Cristobal, they were signing like three or four or five of the best, 10, 15 players in the state of California every year. 24 will also be an important year at Matter Day, by the way. Uh, Brendan Baker, one of their top prospects. Aiden Breland, yep. another top prospect. Both mm -hmm. both go to school there. Jared, do you have any more on recruiting, or should we jump to question numero four? No, I was just going to mention all the all the kids in California. Uh, it's a really good California class. It's not on high at quarterback like it has been the last couple of seasons. Uh, that's kind of been like their bread and butter. Uh, which, you know, to nobody's surprise, but um, there's some good defensive backs coming from California. There's actually a couple of linemen like defensive ends or wide defensive yeah. ends that um, could really help Oregon along uh, down the future, um, which, again, doesn't happen too often from from a West Coast state. But um, like Matt said, you know, this Oregon, both staffs under Mario and under Dan have done a good job of of poaching talent right out of from Lincoln Riley's nose. And uh, I wouldn't be surprised if they continue to do that. Um, Again, they, you're kind of in a, this nice era for Oregon football where uh, kids who are growing up in that recruiting like kind of period of time where that's 16, 18 years old, where all Oregon fans growing up or all watched Oregon late at night or, frankly, USC and UCLA weren't that good for most of their childhood, so that kind of helps them. Um, so uh, that California class is going to be good, just like it kind of always is every year. Um, and I'll say, you know, it's, uh, it's pretty impressive that Oregon already has two commits from Florida in the 25 class, but to Matt's point, like, you know, don't, I, I wouldn't grow too attached to them. And again, not saying that they're going to decommit or anything like that, but it's only official once they sign the papers. And that's a long, long, long ways away. Uh, it's already a long ways away for the 24 class, let alone the 25 class. So regardless though, it's still good that Oregon still has some of that Florida pipeline that they kind of built under Willie Taggart and kind of kept through Mario Cristobal. But, um, You'd like to see more there. You'd like to see more in the South, but I don't think Oregon's going to have any problem recruiting multiple states this 2025 class. No, they've done a great job recruiting nationally. And to the Florida point, even if both kids decommit, having a foot in the door in Florida in that cycle will, yeah. will help, right? Like that's that's how I look at that. And, you know, I don't, I don't have all the data in front of me, but it's not unusual for Oregon to land a kid in Florida or Texas, let's say, one of those big yeah. – big states early and maybe they lose them, but maybe that leads to, you know, interest from another kid that that, you know, knows on the camp circuit or something. So um, yeah, even if those kids don't end up signing, there could be benefit in terms of just building connections out in that state. So something to watch there. I'm in agreement with those two that it's hard to hold on. Wilson in particular, who is like what a top 100 recruit in 25, I forget exactly. Like that's, that's yeah, gonna be, it's like a top 40 recruit. Yeah. It's going to be, that's going to be a tough one to hold on to. All mm -hmm. right. Last one. We are switching sports again from at John V. Adams. Could be related to a former president. We don't know. <laughs> it's typically an Altman we trust, but will Dana Altman have enough shooters and strong enough power forwards to get the job done next year with the existing roster? 
And they said, any players in the works for next season? And I know that Matt, maybe we start there. Like where, where is, where is the roster at this point? Are, are they, is it, I think they have 12 scholarships filled. You can correct me if I'm wrong. Are, uh, do you think yeah. they'll use 13 or, or do you think it's, let's just stand pat. I think Dana and the staff are doing what Dana and the staff typically do. They're going to carry a scholarship over into the summer months and that could be they find somebody in a 2023 recruiting class that they add in June, July, August. It could be a reclassification. Um, we'll see what happens, but I, I just don't I don't think they're 100% locked in right now on, hey, we, we really need to add a 13th player um, to this roster. If a guy comes along, whether that's a grad transfer, a portal transfer, or a high school or a JUCO guy, um, they'll take it. But I was told like they, they're comfortable with their roster as it is. And now it's literally just, if we're going to add a piece, it's going to be a dude that's going to be a game changer for next year uh, or the years to come. Or is someone that they feel like, and this is just my interpretation, that this is a guy that's going to be okay with maybe having a very limited to non-existent role next year in red shirting um, or playing very little and cycling through the roster. So that next year and the following year, which would be 2024, 2025, he'd be ready for a bigger season. Um, we see this with, they've done this before. Um, Butler's Ethan Butler's one of them. Um, Luke, Luke Ward was one of them. Um, they've had some guys where they come in and it's, hey, super talented athlete or you know, new to the game, but really promising. And we'll see what it's like in two or three years. And, you know, a couple of times it's worked out. I think the Luke Ward experiment was a success. You know, this was a guy that was like a two-star recruit and redshirted a year, played very sparingly for his first two. And then in this year, emergency status, came in and, and helped Oregon. Um kind of got what you needed out of him, graduated, and is now left the program to go someplace somewhere else. So that's where I would think, expect, that's what I've heard Oregon's looking to do for its last spot. Um, I know they've, they've brought a couple guys in for visits, but you know, nothing has happened where it's like, hey, like they're all in, here we go, things are happening. So if we think the roster, and, and they're okay with the roster standing pat at 12, to the original question from maybe a relative of one of the first presidents. Do we think that this roster is good enough? Do we think it's taking enough of a step? Like what, where, like if we assume it is done, what's your assessment of, I guess, to his question about the shooting and the power forwards, but just in general, where you kind of assess the roster right now? I think they've made marked improvements. Um, I, I think their additions individually may not be like superstar ads. Um, you might not be saying, wow, this is a top five transfer portal guy. They're instantly going to be better. I think they fit playing kind of money balls stuff here where it's, Hey, they fit our system really well with what we want to do. And we're banking on the fact that in our system and how we play and how this guy would play in our system, his numbers will be better. Um, that's what they did with uh, Kuznard. At Oregon, that's what they did with Bartholomew, um, who's there from South Carolina, Bartholomew with 
um, Colorado, and both those guys played better this past season than they did at their previous stops. Now, that's not to just say that it's automatically going to happen. I mean, you would have liked to have seen them get a Dalton Connect or get some kind of proven sharpshooter that, that shoots 42% on three-pointers like they did with Anthony Mathis, you know, that one year. Um, but they've they've added guys. You know, I know they're really high on Cambridge at power forward. He's more of a – of He's closer to the style of play that Dylan Brooks played with than Quincy Guerrier was at um, in terms of a power forward that can play inside and out. Quincy was not a good shooter. Um, his offensive game was limited the further he got out from the from the hoop. Very talented near it, very athletic. Um, they feel like Cambridge can be that guy. I know that they feel like um, between Cambridge and – um, Cario Aquindo, they've upgraded, you know, ball handlers and guys that can get the ball and run the transition and get up court quickly. They, I, I know that they weren't really pleased with their transition offense and, you know, the fast breaks and, you know, being able to press and some of that was roster limitations. Some of that was lack of depth at certain spots. And so they feel like they're going to be closer to being playing the style of ball that, that they like, you know, the last couple of seasons, before last year where they're pressing a lot, they're pushing the tempo, the ball is getting up and down the court, downhill drives, and if, if the drives aren't there, they're kicking the ball out to, to spot up shooters. And that's where guys like Bartholomew, that's where Kuznard and these additions that they've added, who maybe aren't these elite snipers, but when you give them set jump shots wide open on threes, that's where the percentages should, in theory, go up and you see better shooting. But again, until they do it, you have to have some kind of like half glass, half full approach where, you know, sounds nice, looks good on paper, but we need to see it play out in fruition. I think they'll be better next year. I think they'll be a tournament team next year. Um, will they be the Pac-12's best team in the conference? You can't expect that this, you know, off of what they've added. You can't expect that. I'm I'm a little wary of the some of the offseason additions. Um, this is like you said, Matt. This is kind of what the team has done the last couple of years of finding guys who um, aren't great shooters and hoping that they turn a corner over the offseason. I know Mike Menega is one of the better shooting coaches in the country and has really helped guys improve their form, like Dylan Brooks and you know, like well, Chris Boucher always had a bad form but improved his touch, improved his shooting abilities, um, and so you hope that works in this case again too. Um, Devin Cambridge and, and Quincy Gurrier, I feel like Cambridge is just a more of an energizer bunny. Uh, I feel like offensively, both those guys were really limited. Um, Cambridge in his games against Oregon last season was really like an offensive rebounder, finisher guy. Um, you know, he's a really poor shooter from beyond the arc. I think career like 28, 29% shooter. Uh, Cario Oquendo from Georgia, not much better of a three-point shooter. Uh, very similar to what Jermaine Kuznard was coming into last season. So when Kuznard transferred from South Carolina, uh, just a guy who had a really pretty high usage rate at Georgia, guy who could fill it up but was remarkably inefficient. Uh, again, bad Georgia team, bad South Carolina team for Jermaine Kuznard. Uh, Kuznard was more efficient this year, but um, you know, he's still a very, very, very streaky three-point shooter. Obviously, his first career game at Oregon, their second career game at Oregon was that Arizona game, shoots six for nine from three, um, you know, finishes the season like one for 18 from downtown. So, 
if you take out that Arizona game, he's really like a 27% three-point shooter. Um, again, these are moments in this offseason where you thought that Oregon would go out and get a three-point shooter. Somebody, like you said, Matt, an Anthony Mathis, somebody who, when taking a wide-open jump shot, even though they're a career whatever 40% shooter, in your brain, it's telling you that that ball is going in, that there's an 80% chance that this wide-open three-pointer goes in. Um, there were not a lot of players like that last year on this Oregon team. And I'm not sure how many players are going to come into this year and have that same kind of shooting prowess where if there is a wide open three in your brain, it tells you, hey, this is going to go in. Because uh, that didn't happen last year, and I'm not sure they added any significant shooting uh, jumps unless one of the true freshmen of Mookie Cook, K.J. Evans, or Jack Shurselset comes in and starts chucking um, and making them. I have a little bit of a concern with how many guards they have, too. There's a lot of guards on this team. Uh, Jadrian Tracy, I guess you could kind of consider him a, a small forward. But Oquendo, Kuznard, Bartholomew, Jackson Shellstad, um, Brennan Rigsby is still here. That's a guy who, who probably isn't going to play a lot. Um, there's a lot of guards on this team after a season with a lot of guards. Um, so... I'm not sure what the lineups are going to look like. I'd imagine there's probably going to be plenty of three-guard lineups, but I just think like there's a lot of a lot of mouths to feed on this team, and I think they should keep that last scholarship question to uh, or to go back to the question. I think they just need to keep that open, just keep that going in the next season, and then try to bring in more guys next year. But I have my concerns. They're, they're valid, and I'm in agreement. I, if it was me, like if you're going to add a guy. He's got to be someone that the NBA is talking about, you know, to being on your, on their team next yeah. year. Like, like that's the level of, of, of dude you need to bring in. Um, Are or you saying with, that, that, with the last scholarship? Yeah. Like if they're uh, going to use it on somebody, it's either that guy's going to redshirt. <laughs> no, there's not. And that's, that's the point. Like that's like the, the, the example I'm trying to use where this is a guy that's going to change the arc of your program just by arriving on campus. Um, there, there aren't very many of those guys left. So I'm in agreement with you. Like, I think they they hold it and they just see what happens. You know, maybe there's a reclass or, you know, in August that they feel like could help. Um, but most importantly, just keep that scholarship available uh, for the next year because you're going to have – a. there's going to be a big group of guys. Dante is going to be gone. Um, we could Kuznard is going to be gone. Uh, we might see Bartholomew go, even though he's got one more year of eligibility. He'll be a true senior um, next year. Cambridge and uh, it will be gone. Aquindo is someone who will have an extra year of eligibility if he wants it, but he's already told me like he's going in with the intent that this is his last season of college ball. So you're going to have a, a huge swath of dudes leave the program and you're going to need to reload these guys. And I just like to have as many scholarships as possible. Um, I, I think they have a lot of guards, but I think that's because Will Richardson, I, I think it was a very good point guard. I think he gets a bad rep, but I think one of the things that he didn't do that didn't, doesn't fit the, the Oregon, I think blueprint under Dana Altman was push the tempo. He was a very slow player. There was no there was no emphasis on pushing the court the ball up the court and really trying you know to speed the game up and you know play a fast tempo game. He just always would would be very cautious with the ball, slow it down, and then bring it up. 
And I think this is a move where they're trying to say, hey, best players are going to play. We're going to bring in a lot of competition, much like what they did for football at, at that slot spot with Chris Hudson. Uh, best players are going to play at the guard spots. And we're going to play fast. And if it, you know, we're going to play press. We're, we're, we're going to, the tempo is going to be fast and you need to be able to play hard for short bursts of time. And we might see this team play five guards, four guards in a game, and they all play around 18 to 22 minutes. Yeah, I wouldn't be surprised. I just wonder, um, is that a better philosophy than just going out and getting like one major player? and hoping that he can play a majority of those minutes while giving them to Shellstad. Because sure. with all the hype that Shellstad has generated over the offseason, I would have the, you know, I would have the idea that that Oregon trusts him, that Oregon wants to play him, that they don't need to bring in other guards, that they can use the brand new true freshman, the V6 sitting in the garage to play those important minutes because he's 18 or 19 years old. They don't have to rely on 28-year-old Will Richardson anymore. So I don't know. I, I, I agree. They could be playing four to five to six cards a game, uh, depending on how you want to qualify or quantify what JJ and Tracy is in the lineup. But uh, I just, I don't know. I feel like they brought in a lot of guys, a lot of puzzle pieces. I'm not sure that puzzle uh, will look anything like it's completed by the end of the year. That's just like kind of what my worries were going into the last season. Uh, I feel like they just kind of rolled out a new blueprint and got this year's versions of those guys last year. Um, so maybe I'm too negative. You can leave a comment in there, but um, I feel like we're going into the same same season with the same question marks that we had going into last year. So that's just what I see. All right, I think that's going to do it for us here on the Odds and the Audibles podcast. Thank you for submitting the wide ranging subjects of uh, of topics that we needed to cover. Uh, go to DuckTerritory.com for more coverage on Oregon baseball. Jared will be at PK Park all weekend. Or I guess, yeah, this is coming out oh, on Thursday. I got my got my podcast dates all screwed up there for a second. We're recording a bunch here, really <laughs> in a short period of time. Yeah, uh, but nonetheless, go to go to duckterritory.com for baseball coverage of the Super Regionals. Jared will be there all weekend covering the team. Uh, until the next podcast next week, you've been listening to the Odds and Audibles podcast. Talk to you later, folks. Peace.